You're listening to Find the Outside, the podcast. I'm Tuesday Reinhardt. And I'm Tim Merry. This week on the podcast, we are talking about equity. <laughs> That's right. We're going to talk about, for those of, you, those of you who don't have much background in equity, we hope we bring some information. For those of you who have worked in it for a long time, we hope you bring some new ideas and new thoughts. Uh, and we're going to talk about why we put equity at the center of our work, why we made that stand uh, a bit of time ago and what it means for us. Isn't that right, Tim? Yeah, right, bud. And we we just did this uh, kind of meeting with some of the outside team, and we just talked about this whole um, uh, kind of centering of systems change and equity at the heart of the work, you know. And that just feels like this, like, constant through everything we're doing, no matter whether it's kind of how we're interacting with each other on our team or with each other as individuals, to how we're interacting with the client, to how we're developing the work, to how we're growing our team. So it does, it feels like, one of the incontrovertible elements of the outside, the systems change in equity. And, uh, and yeah, so I think it's worth talking about because it's a real stance that we're taking both uh, kind of in the world as individuals, but in our field as people who are leading systems change too, you know. So, Tim, I mean, why don't we just start right at the beginning? What is equity? And so I want to say you can probably go online and find some really great definitions. Like just so, you know, like just to name that that is probably, they'll be well thought out. They will be perfectly wordsmithed. Um, but I, I want to just kind of off the cuff say what we think of when we think of equity and what we mean. And part of the reason I want to bring this is because occasionally, not very often at this point in my life, but occasionally when I say the word equity, people will still think I'm talking about money. Right. So like there's there's equity around resourcing and money. And of course, um, that's it's not that field. We're talking more of a, a, a human beings equity. Uh, and so what what do you think? What do you think? What would you say? What is equity? And then I'll give it a shot, too. Oh, see, I thought you were going to go first. Mm. Um, so what do I think equity is? Well, I mean, I guess what I can talk about it in my life as, mm. mm -hmm. you know, is like a is like a, a is like a an investigation or a practice right hmm. into how uh power uh and wealth are distributed right mm -hmm. how we relate across lines of race class uh gender education access for me like when i think about centering equity in our work it's about keeping all of those conversations alive on the table in all of our work and in our working relationships. And so for me, and I feel like this is partly to do with your mentorship, to be honest, like I feel for me, like it isn't actually about having a definition of equity that's the most important thing. It isn't about saying we've got there or we know when we've got there. It's actually about like keeping those tough conversations alive and present and part of every single step of the way, it's like refusing to be blind to mm. inequity. Mm. Right? It's like nice. refusing to be blind to inequity, I think, is what the practice of equity means to me. And that's not expecting to solve it in my lifetime. That's not expecting human beings to live in some like Shangri-La of perfection where inequity has dissolved. But it's like a true acknowledgement of inequity when it exists and a absolute commitment to keeping that at the center 
of everything we do at all levels. So mm. I think that's it. And, uh, and, and, um, yeah. And I think that's one of the ways I'm able to stay in the conversation, but also participate in it, you know, being who I am and coming from the background that I come from. Yes. Uh, I think you're spot on. Uh, I think that's exactly right. I was, I was laughing to myself because I thought, how would I give a definition of equity that doesn't have inequity in it? Right. You know, I'm just going back to like my seventh grade English, like you can't define a word by having the word in your definition. Um, and so I was thinking, it's <laughs> just like kind of playing back. And I think just as, um, as a, when I think about issues of equity, I mean, I think about issues of disparity, um, both unequal treatment, unequal access, um, and uh, and I don't want to sugarcoat it because often it's not just like oh it's unequal. It's like that actually people are being actively harmed, right? So it's not as if it's just like oh you don't get the same thing. It's like actually um, certain groups in our society at this point are actively harmed by ways of not not being treated fairly and not having access. So I think about it as a bit of a continuum. I'm not being very articulate today, but think about it. It's like we have different pasts as groups of people. And those pasts are often based on ways we have been structured unequally, right? There'll be those that work for and those that receive the benefit of that work. There will be um, those who um, give uh, whatever kind of labor, be it emotional or spiritual or physical labor, and there'll be those that benefit. And often those two groups are very separated. There'll be, uh, so these future, these uh, pasts, right? There'll be people who have access to wealth and resourcing, and there'll be those that do not. Um, there'll be those that are victims of war and colonization and um, genocide, and those that benefit from war and colonization and genocide. And so the divides are um, quite deep. Right. And often you're on one side or the other now. Um, and so when I think about I think about there's like these past legacies of inequity that we carry with us. Right. That make our presence, our, our current state, the present very different. Right. Um, so if I think about and I'm, I'm terrible at statistics. Actually, I listen to this podcast that at the end they do a fact check. And I was like, oh, nice. we need to do a fact check. But there's some there's there's like some crazy, some crazy statistic like white families have like on average like 80,000 or 180,000 dollars of wealth. Right. And like black accumulated, families accumulated accumulated wealth. Right, right. And black families in the U.S. have like 18 dollars. And we'll have less, right, in 20 years, we may have none, right? So, like, we're talking about very real different presences that are ba based on past inequities and legacies. It's um, uh, the, the gender pay gap, right? April 1st is when white women have to work, right? So if a man works in 2019, a white man works in 2019, uh, the whole year, a white woman would have to work all of 2019 and into April 2020. To make the same amount of money. A black mm. woman would have to work until July, I think. And um, mm. I think Latino women, I don't remember the exact date, but I don't, don't remember the month, but I think indigenous women is like the next November, right? So like mm. real differences, right? So this is inequity. So when we say we work for equity, we're working to try to um, acknowledge and understand how that past impacts the present, right? And being real, when we see current reality, right? We want to um, acknowledge and understand. And then there's a future dimension, right? Because if we keep on this trajectory, those gaps are just going to widen, 
right? Right. Mm. So uh, when I think about our work, it's like acknowledging, understanding the past, seeing reality currently in the present, and then beginning to plan and work toward a future where those those um, gaps between people are moving closer together. And that is, yes, through our relationships and our understanding of each other. And we talked about generosity and cross-cultural differences. That's an important part. But we also need to work with the structures, right? What are the very structures that keep us separated from each other? The structures that reinforce an ongoing lack of equity between people. And so I think we're working, when you talk about multiple levels, we're absolutely working on what's happening for each of us as we relate to other folks and how we've internalized the structures uh, that we've inherited. Um, We're talking about between us, right? And maybe we could give some examples later about how we talk about equity between the two of us, right? So it's just Mm. like an interpersonal thing. Um, I think we're talking about in our organizations, how are we, how are we structured? How are we structurally separated and how do we work with that? And how do we move our relationships so that we can look at that structure uh, clearly together and then work forward to shift it? Um, I think we're talking about uh, our systems. Um, so if we talk about education or humanitarian, right, how are those systems structured? So for example, why is we work in a humanitarian organization that has a global workforce, right? Why is most of their headquarters white in one nationality? Right. That mm. is a structural inequity. Um, mm. It's not, I don't think everyone who goes to work there says, yes, we want to keep it white and male and, uh, but, but, but the structure makes it so, and we haven't figured yeah. out a way to shift that. Um, and then of course we're talking systemically and we talk when we, or structurally, when we talk about structure, we're talking about things like race and class and gender that kind of undergird all of these pieces. So when we talk about equity, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about these most pernicious issues um, that continue to plague us and have for centuries absolutely ha- make us have different presences. And we'll, and, and unless we decide something different, we will have different futures from each other. And so I think part of our work is trying to, to, to find a way to not have different futures. So talk to me a bit about um, this kind of like divide that happens where you either fall into uh oppressor or oppressed you know you kind of you said at one point there you either fall on one side or the other you know often um and uh, and i feel a lot of our work actually is trying to bridge that right it's trying to bridge not just relationships but like learning mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean mm-hmm. the ability to uh design different futures very practically and concretely what is being achieved in these different spheres of kind of like and so i just i just like to hear you talk about that piece that like kind of gray area in the middle where i find like we're often placed or we're often building our work right well a couple of things one is that very few of us fall entirely on one side of oppressed and oppressor Right, so we have multiple identities, uh, and so while if we were to if we were to make broad brush strokes, right, we might be the oppressor in one group and the oppressed in another group. So if we just give my like my own identity, right, so certainly as a black woman, uh, as a black biracial woman, um, I and race, I would be on the I would have the experience of being marginalized or oppressed, mm. um, and yet I'm straight. I have all of the privilege that goes with that, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and so then I would be uh, on the oppressor, not the oppressor. So we each likely have a mixed experience 
I mean, so, I mean, that's not true for every person, but most of us have some level of mixed experience. So that that's like just a way in, right? That's just a way in to say like no one has one full entire experience generally. Um, and then of course, people are hurt within their own groups, right? Which you know, um, and uh, and I, but I think the gray area maybe that you're talking about is part of what we try to do is allow the multiplicity of people to come into the room, so that we don't come in essentialized. You don't come in as only a white man, although that's incredibly important in an identity you bring, but you also come in with multiple identities, so that we can work in that gray area, so that we begin to see each other as full human beings and not only essentialized to these identities that would tell us. Where you kind of are in the social hierarchy. And so I think that that's a lot of our work. I would not say in any way we are working to help people see each other's humanity. I think most of the people we work with do see each other's humanity. I think we're trying to get people to see each other's complexity and to mm, work from very nice. and yeah. to work from there. I really appreciate that. Thank um, you. And so that, yes, you get to show up fully. Like, I don't ever forget that you're a white man. Um, and there's also a lot to you. And there's something I can learn from you. And also, I think that the the gray area that we come from is that um, we actually need, it's just so overly simplistic to say both sides of the divide, but let's just use it, right? <laughs> let's just use it. But um, we also need both sides of any divide to actually move forward because there yeah. will be things you see as a person on one side that the other side cannot possibly see. And there'll be things that mm -hmm. people see from the other side that the other people can't. I mean, we've talked about it in our own relationship, right? And so mm -hmm. the, the, the fundamental belief that we need everyone is the gray area we work in. And so just, and so I'm going to pick up another couple of threads and throw some stuff in. Cause like, you, you know, you talked about people being hurt within their own groups. And so if, if, you know, I think about that within the context of, um kind of like white british upper middle class private you know my kind of background you know but knowing the level of trauma and abuse and abandonment that often happens within that strata of our society mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. who would largely depict as the oppressor right 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 or the colonialist mm -hmm. right and so we've had conversations on this podcast about how the impacts of colonialism right like like uh um move across all layer of layers of our society mm -hmm. right the impacts of it mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and um the the residential schools in canada were built off the same model as the school system that i was sent to in the uk mm -hmm. right it's the same model of education that was applied right except mm -hmm. You know, my parents were paying ridiculous amounts of money to send me there mm -hmm. and 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 then leaving leaving us there, right? And and um so that so there's something in the system there, right? But the the difference I think lies there's something and so like I have this kind of like the colonialist mindset, like the mm -hmm. the 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 practice of oppression is also hurting those who are oppressed and the children of those who mm -hmm. are the oppressor right yeah. like there's no like mm -hmm. it doesn't just fall in one segment of our society the impact of a system that is hurting people yes right yeah actively deliberately hurting people yet you know if you have a hundred and eighty thousand dollars right or you have eighteen dollars right your capacity to uh either cushion yourself from the blow of that pain right mm -hmm. right or 
invest the money to be able to transform yourself and learn from it mm-hmm. is vastly different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that or for me is quite. Or even survive it. Or even. Thank you. Or yeah. even survive it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I can look, I can look into my family and say that there is a family member of mine who probably would not have lived with, mm. you know, would not have survived mm-hmm. if uh, we had not had access to wealth and privilege. Yeah, exactly. Like, without a doubt, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. And so, um, probably more actually within my extended family, more than one person. So, so I think that's, I think that's, I just, I just think that's interesting because often, you know, I was raised to think about uh, equity work uh, as oppressor and oppressed and the impact, you know, of the Mm -hmm. oppressor upon the oppressed, Mm -hmm. you know, and what I've grown to understand over kind of investigating my own past and the multi-generational legacy of colonists that I come from, (laughs) right? Right? I mean, straight up, right? Then what I've also begun to understand is that actually it's not – that we're all actually like the families of all of us mm-hmm. are negatively and horrifically impacted by mm-hmm. these systems. Um, but the access to wealth in, in many ways is a, is one of the big game changers. Huge. It's huge. Right. And so I just, so I don't know what, I mean, I don't know what to do about other than bring it into the conversation, but I've just been thinking about that a lot recently. Right. And so that's why just to name, um, I think that that's really important because as we tease out this equity conversation, it would be easy to, um, to, I guess it's so easy just to focus on one piece. We could focus on, uh, the, you either are, or you are not in a particular division. Right. right? And that tells us something about your experience. So what you're bringing is a nuance in around like, oh, but we're all impacted. Okay. So we could talk about how we're all impacted through trauma, which I think a lot of the discourse is on right now, like really focusing on the trauma. And I think that that's really great. I think that's really great. And, um, I think, um, or we could focus on how the how wealth can mitigate that, and I think that's also useful. Um, and and then there are things that you're just not going to consider there, like oh, okay, well, um, yes, we're all affected by colonization, but if some of us were removed from our families, such as residential schooling, which does mirror um, does mirror the boarding school experience in a lot of ways, but then I and then I go back to a community that has nothing yeah. that doesn't have doctors, that doesn't yeah. have access to education, right? That's, so what I'm I think what I'm saying is like what I'm appreciating about this conversation. I think the way that we're trying to hold equity is that it's very complex and very multifaceted, and to reject the easy answer, just reject, yeah. reject, reject. How we could easily just begin, uh, and that doesn't mean you don't make a stand. Rejecting the easy answer no. doesn't mean like that. That's our yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. Our work is making a stand that this is important to us and we're going to move on it. But I think we just, it's so complicated that we can just fall back into, oh, but you had it worse than me or I had it worse than you or this is worse. And blah, blah, blah. and it's just like, actually, it's really, it's really kind of fucked up across the whole system. I actually heard, a, I actually heard a conversation the other day uh, over Facebook of like um, uh, kind of a debate around what's worse to be abandoned by your parents at seven years old into a highly abusive organization like a rich public school in England, you know, violent and abusive, or to be taken from your family and put into a residential. Mm, Literally, people arguing about whoa. what's worse, 
right? And it's like, well, because if you go to a public, public, private school boarding system in England, you're actually abandoned by your parents. At least your pet. At least if you went to residential school, you knew your parents might have wanted you. Mm. I mean, like these are the type of conversations right. that were taking place, and it was just like, yeah. I it's, mean, it kind of missed what you're saying. Right. It's right? so wild. I, there's just such a there's such a need to compare, and I just like you know like there's there's more than enough pain to go around, uh, mm. and um, mm. and I also think part of what the conversation misses entirely is that. Um, there is uh, beauty in the oppressed experience. It's not only victimization, but there's like um, real beauty and and uh, hardiness and resiliency. And uh, you know, like um, when I look to when I look for strength, I'm looking to my uh, uh, black ancestors. You know, like they're they've given me something through that suffering. I'm not saying that was worth it. I'm not saying they should have. I'm not saying I'm happy about it. But there's also just like this conversation often around equity makes um, winners and losers, and the losers just have a terrible, bleak future and no happiness, and that just doesn't just doesn't match my experience at all um, on uh, those identities and those experiences that yes, may be hard, um, but also bring with them uh you know uh, one of my friends says we're the people of malcolm x like you know like you you can't take that like that is a beautiful strength it's a beautiful dignity um that i wouldn't trade for anything in the world and so it's just kind of like we just kind of pigeonhole people or say like oh this is so bad i remember i worked in the domestic violence and sexual assault movement for years and years and part of what i just i just rankle at in the discourse about it and and in the me too i mean i I love i love that movement i'm excited by it i'm i'm thrilled that this is coming to light but part of what i really struggle with is like just like this um pigeonholing of people who've had an experience as victims you know you'll hear things Mm. like their lives are never the same blah 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 blah. well you know Mm. like all that might be true but like they're all their eyes might also be really beautiful and that might be you know they might find a way to make that the place where the light comes in and i just like i just like it's not to minimize any of it but it's just to begin to tease it out and say like it's not we cannot paint with a broad brush and so that i think is what we bring to our equity work like a firm stance it's where we are it's what we're working for and from that, as long as we kind of keep that compass, like let's explore what it could look like in this particular organization. Let's explore what it could look like with this particular group of people. We won't lose sight of structure. We won't lose sight of personal wounding and victimization, but let's actually not paint with too broad of a brush and let's find a way forward together. Yeah, I think that's true. And I just think there's a real leaning in that we bring. Mm. You know, Say more. That, well, I just feel like when, when issues of equity arise, mm-hmm in in our work or in the teams we're working with Mm -hmm. we tend to like really perk up and lean in right and i think often in conversations when issues of equity arise the person who is facilitating or either leading the session tries to like uh uh move over it or move through it Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. or they let it completely take over yeah and derail things and i think there's something about like that you know our ability to lean in and be really curious without letting it like completely derail or lose us from the work that's at hand there's some kind of like leaning in and curiosity that we bring that that uh, uh doesn't doesn't feel like being wrapped up in cotton wool yeah or something like that doesn't feel doesn't feel like I'm drowning or doesn't feel like, like it's like, we're never avoiding, we're never avoiding it. We're always leaning in. It's like, 
all right, let's have these conversations, you know, like, let's do it. But, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've been in rooms where, where, where issues of equity arise and then it feels like break supply, the whole thing stops. The density of the room becomes so intense. It's almost hard to breathe, mm-hmm. you, you know? So I just think about that. I think that, that there's something that we're doing that's different, that's somehow enabling us to be in those pieces, but keep moving. Yeah, I think that that's true. And I think it comes from a couple of places. One is, um, I think one is a bit of my experience and having run anti-racism and gender justice conversations for years. Like I don't, I don't feel afraid of them, right? Like I just don't feel afraid of them. I do, however, sometimes feel quite bored with them. Like I want them to go, you know what I mean? Like I want to be, I want us to be moving and pushing new ground. So I think that that's part of the leaning in. I'm like, oh, what could we do here? Right. What could like, what could we actually discover as a group here? What are the ways that this group could help me uh, push my thinking? I could push their thinking. So I think that for me, that's like a, a real willingness and hunger. Like this has been something I've cared about deeply since my early twenties. And so uh, when it comes up, I want to, I want to move new ground. Um, and so I think that that's part of the leaning in for me. Uh, and I think people feel that. Uh, I think the second part, though, and I've said this to you a million times, I think your colonial training really helps. It's so funny. It's like the biggest irony in these particular situations, because, Tim, you do not seem, at least on the outside, to have much fragility around this issue at all. Right. So when no, race no, no. comes up, you do lean in. You're like, tell me more, but not from a place of like, tell me more so I can self-flagellate and tell you how bad I feel as a white man. You're just kind of like, yeah, okay. Like, that's right. Tell me more. And I think people can feel both your genuine curiosity and um, that they don't have to put on wool gloves around you. Right. So I think that that's quite appealing. I think that it's like, it's, it's a trustworthy stance. Um, and so I think I always say to you, um, like, uh, I always say, well, I say to you a lot, black women love you. I stand by that. But I think part of it is Tim's rolling his eyes right now, but I think part of it is just because you're just willing to go there. Right. And I, and I know, and I'd, I'd like you to talk about that, but I think it is part of your colonial training. Like you, you don't get rattled. You don't get rattled and you don't fall back into your fragile emotion around it. You're able to stay with people. You're able to like be with them in the conversation, hear tough things, right? And keep us moving. And so I think there's this piece around like, I'm up for it. You have the resiliency to be in it. I think that's a trustworthy combination. And then I think the other thing that makes it possible, and I, if I'm starting to feel a little pathologically modest. The Midwest in me is coming up, but I'm just going to say like, I think that people watch our relationship and the way that we handle issues of voice and equity and access between the two of us. And that also makes us a trustworthy conversation. So I think people, our groups are willing to be in a conversation with us a bit differently because of how we hold it. You called it leaning in. I think that's true. I think they see us both lean in. I think they see the way we are together. I think they also see um, uh, this desire to have a very different conversation that we might typically have, which means that some people wouldn't want to work with us, right? Yeah. But but some people will want to. I've forgotten where it was, mate. We were doing a we were doing some keynote somewhere or something. And someone came up to us afterwards and was just talking about the impacts of white patriarchy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I've forgotten where it was, but they were they were just like, they were mad and they were having at me. Yeah. 
you know, and I yeah. was the white patriarch and I was getting it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, um, and they were talking to me about like the, like I would be naive to the impacts of white patriarchy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I would be naive to what it is to be targeted, oppressed, abused by the white patriarchy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which of course I'm not like, that's what I'm raised in, mm-hmm. you, you know? And so I think there is a piece of like, yes, there's a certain level of training that you get when you and we've talked about this on this podcast you know a lot i think about like that the system is set up to remove empathy so you can be insisted you can be in situations of very high volatility and not lose your center right you know mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. done that's that's done through a process of uh um kind of like trauma and abandonment and abuse and 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 uh, uh teaching you how to repress your emotional center mm-hmm. you know um uh but there's also a piece of like well yeah of course course, yeah you you can talk to me about white privilege and you can talk to me about white supremacy and you can talk to me about white patriarchy and you can talk to me about the impacts of class and like on a like Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna have various blind spots in there but like the emotional impact of those things Right. I have a date. I was born into that. Right. Right. I was that right. system is my family mm-hmm. and has been my family for five generations. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's how, that's how we, re- that isn't just how we run the country or the world. That's how we raise our children. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and so with that understanding, with that, like if I can breathe that mm-hmm. in, then mm-hmm. I can lean into those conversations in a completely open way. Cause I'm right. like, yup. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is different, you know, it's like, I'm, so I just think that's a piece of it, right? That's a piece of it. And there is this whole, like, you know, colonial, you know, when you go to, you know, the English public school systems were set up to train colonial administrators, you know, right? and a key piece of that is like, uh, uh, the, you know, all of the trauma and abandonment and the, and the kind of reassociation of uh of your loyalty onto the institution i mean all of these things we've kind of gone through on previous podcasts um uh uh is also a huge part of it you know and i remember you and and our our colleague caroline talking about that one time you know and also the risks of it right right in that like when your empathy when you're when you're raised within institutions that by their nature are designed to remove your empathetic muscle right there's a danger that you completely disassociate yourself Right. Which is, of course, why we end up with so many dominant systems within our organizations and our countries that lack empathy for their users, that lack empathy for the people they're really seeking to serve or support because uh, they're designed by people who've gone through an education system that has fundamentally wounded them. So, so, uh, is that where you were going? Is that the kind of it things was, you wanted me to get yeah, into? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, I yeah. think it was both, and I think it's. I really appreciate the first point you made because I want to go back to that example you gave of the woman who kind of kind of came at you. Two things: yeah. one is your business partner. Uh, I never feel the need to help you out. No, I just want. And, but but yeah. I guess I just want to say like that's actually incredibly important in equity conversations. Hmm. Like that, I'm not feeling the need to rescue you or make it better for you because I like you got it. So yeah. I think just like as we talk about practices, right, and uh, both gendered behavior, both racialized behavior, um, you know, it could as your business partner, I could feel the need to take care of you, and I don't, right? And I think that that's incredibly important. 
Good. I mean, <laughs> it's actually, I think it's a big, I mean, I'm thank happy. You. And thank you for that. Because that yeah. gives me some freedom to rise to it within my own capacity. Right. It calls something out of me. I mean, I don't think we've ever really talked about that until this moment, but like that invites yeah. something from me yeah. too. It invites a resilience from me. Well, and I'm, because we are heart friends, I'm really happy to afterwards help you mm. out and do mm. some taking care of each other. Mm. But in the moment, uh, in a professional context, um, I never have any doubt that you are strong enough to work with it, that you mm. will lean in. Like it's just, yeah. I just don't have any doubt. Yeah. And I think that uh, if we go back to that example, like so one, one is I'm like, oh, I wonder what will happen here. Not a, oh, what's going to happen here? But you what's don't, he going to say? I know. What's he gonna, what are the, whoa, this is. The- <laughs> right? That never occurs to me. It never occurs to me. It's like, oh, well, let's just see how this goes. Because I have a brilliant, strong, resilient, grounded partner who cares about these issues. So any of that mm-hmm. anxiety I might have isn't present. Um, and uh, in that particular example, even though you can absolutely sink into, yeah, I know what that is because it's what I grew up with. That's mm. actually not what you lead with with people. You oh, don't it's never lead, no right. No. You never you never. I just but it feels important to say. But it allows you, me to be there with them. Right, but you never lead with yeah, me too. I've had no. that experience too. Oh my yeah. gosh, I know what you mean. Right? right, you just have a certainty that you understand. And that mm. they can then now give what their experience is to you and you will hold it. And so I yeah. just want to just name that it's, 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 some of these things are subtle and I think, um, yeah, right. I think it's really, it's really important. And I do think that's what people are, are getting from us. And I think both that and just our, our, in all of the ways, and we just bring this in so many ways on issue to be is, issues of equity and other issues. Um, like we're just like, yeah, we can do this. Yep. We can do it. Yep hard this hard boy this hard we can do something do you know what i mean like it's just like a unwavering belief that we'll find a way forward together yeah my friend you know relationships are the resolution inquiry is the answer (laughs) right i mean this is this is a in many ways the root of the podcast and the root of our work and we're going to keep discovering each other in it and keep discovering our language and our way forward in it the more we talk about it so just enormous gratitude for our conversation mm-hmm. today the continued steps we uh, take together you know yeah and i believe that you had a poem for us and i had a song so i've got two songs as always but the one i'm going to choose the one i'm going to choose for the podcast today just because we've been in the topic the specials yes listeners the specials have released an album in 2019 i don't know who that right? is linval golden born 1951 Mendis, St. Catherine, Jamaica. Did you say the specials have released an album in 2019? <laughs> All right. And there's a fantastic song on there called BLM. The year was 1954, you know. Sir Winston Churchill shot across the Western Islands. He said, come, help us rebuild this country. Devastated by war. Black lives matter. That's it just it's a really good fit to the kind of content and uh, uh, conversation we've been in today. BLM the specials enjoy enjoy the specials are back. Hmm whatever that means. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Slightly heartbroken right now but it's okay. It's all right. We all right. expose so each other good. to new things. 
all the time. That's, you know. Okay, so I'm going to read. Um, it's actually a blog post that was written by Omid Safi. Um, and uh, it's just, it's one of those things that I have on my phone open all of the time. It's just like a little, so it's not a poem, uh, but it's just a little essay that reads very poetically to me. So he was going through the Redwood Forest and he was doing a guided tour through the Redwood Forest. And he said, the ranger said, they stopped and said, the ranger said, hundreds of years ago, a single large redwood tree grew here. Then disaster struck. The trunk of the large redwood was killed, perhaps by repeated and severe wildfire. From here, you can see the original tree trunk still standing upright, now a dead and blackened snag. Despite such terrible damage, the tree did not die. Below the ground, the massive root system was full of vitality. Before long, hundreds of young bright green burl sprouts began to come up around the circle, formed by the root crown of the original tree. Some of those sprouts have grown into the full-size trees that today stand in a circle around the original trunk. Right. So, so he's looking at what looks to be a massively burned out tree, but realizing all of the trees around it come from that particular tree. So then he writes, we are this charred tree and the family of trees ground around it. We are the roots, the burning, the healing, and the regrowth. May we see this family circle around us, friends. May it be that despite such terrible damage, the tree of our life does not die. May it be that there is a vitality in our roots and that the charred tree of our experiences gives birth to a hundred new blooms dancing around us, newer versions of ourselves that leap to life from where we would have been deemed to our death. The tree did not die. May our hearts not die. The tree did not die, and may our families not die. I don't want to die yet, not yet, not now, not for a while. I want to dance with my children at their weddings and tell stories of love and resistance to their as yet unborn children. But my time will come and so will yours. When that time comes, may I have, may I have, may you have, may we have deep and ancient roots that are filled with light and vitality so that new life, new soul, new light sprouts from the charred portion of our being. The tree did not die and our ancestors live in us. We are who we are because they loved us through and after their earthly life. They live in us, through us, long after their bodies are charred and returned to the earth. The tree did not die. The new trees are the old burned tree, and they grow out of the roots it put down. May we witness this growth out of our being. May there be new loved ones circling us as we circle our ancestors. Yeah. So much beauty. Okay. That's it for this episode of Find the Outside the Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. New episodes of the podcast are available every second Tuesday. Yay. Yes, Tuesday. <laughs> if you'd like to get in touch with us about something you heard on the show, you can reach us at podcast.findtheoutside.com. You can find links to any of the resources, poems, books, songs we mentioned during the show in the show notes for this episode over at findtheoutside.com slash podcast or in the description for the podcast in the podcast app you're listening to us on. You can find the song or songs we played in today's show. <laughs> And every song we've ever played or liked somewhat or mentioned vaguely in and around the show 
on the playlist we created on Spotify. Just search Find the Outside on Spotify playlists, or you can find a link over at findtheoutside.com backslash podcast. This episode was edited and produced by Mark Coffin at Sound Good Studio. Theme music for Find the Outside podcast is by Gary Blakemore. Thanks, Gary. Take care, folks. Have a good one. Bye-bye.